a show where a nerd fits in. The Riley and Kimmy Show. The Riley and Kimmy Show. The Riley and Kimmy Show. Toys, movies, comics, and so much more. The Riley and Kimmy Show. And the more that you listen, the more that you know. The Riley and Kimmy Show. And welcome to this episode of The Riley and Kimmy Show. It's a Tuesday edition. And right next to me is... Kimmy! I got one name! Kimmy! Hello, everybody! Hello, everybody! Hi! Hi, I am your host, Patrick Riley. I am the villain of the story. And the person who is not the villain, the person who is the opposite end, who is the hero, is right next to me. Hello, Kimmy. Howdy. <laughs> Howdy. Are you all wide awake? It sounds like you are and ready to go for an episode, this uh-huh. episode. You are? Yep. Ready to go? Mm-hmm. Gearing up? Mm-hmm. On a serious note, we talked about in the previous episode, we were talking about something that uh, happened over the weekend over in uh, Spain, and that is death in the bullfighting ring. And you had a question about bullfighting and i guess you found the answer correct mm-hmm. and the question is what do they do with the bull when the bull actually wins in the ring but really the bull does not win at all it never wins the right? bull never wins so without going i didn't into- realize that only one of them left alive i didn't realize that it was like to the death yes i knew that but I, I didn't i didn't know if the bull won what happened well, if the bull wins, bull still loses because they killed the bull, and actually they're going to kill his mama too. Okay. Because they say they want to um, stop the bloodline. So if the bull wins, the bull loses. Mm-hmm. All right. We'll be talking more about animal stuff, if that is of interest to you, on our brand new show called Animal Special. You can find that at animalspecial.com. We will be interviewing video-wise and also podcast-wise People who are involved with animals, whether it is in pet care or maybe somebody who has a certain interesting uh, pet, if you will, we'll be talking about that. It could be anything, anybody, maybe somebody associated with birds or, or reptiles or dogs or cats or pigs or any type of animal, right, Kimmy? Mm-hmm. That is Animal Special. Please uh, follow us on, on Facebook. We have links to that on uh, animalspecial.com. And if you know of somebody to interview, you think they'd be a great guest, let us know. Contact us on Facebook. Or if you uh, have an event that is pet animal-oriented and you would like us to be at that event to promote it, please contact us. That's right through the Facebook page and links right on our website. And you can also get to Animal Special via our big page. That's the Riley and Kimmy Show, and that's RileyandKimmy.com. And by the way, the Riley and Kimmy Show continues to be daily. That's right. We offer pod podcasts and video episodes and, and things about nerd topics. That's right. Nerd, geek, pop culture-related topics, all fun-oriented. We offer those every single day, brand new, often imitated, but never duplicated. That's the Riley and Kimmy Show. Kimmy. It is a July 12th as we flip over the calendar. Are you ready to play Nerd Pop Culture Geek Trivia? Mm-hmm. All right, Kimmy, we move over to the almanac and we'll be asking you some questions. And if you get more of these right than wrong, you win yourself some pocket lint. And 
you'll be building yourself a creature out-of-pocket lint, I guess, uh, sometime before the end of the year at one of our appearances, correct? That is possible. Okay, I know you have fabric glue in hand. You've been uh, picking up uh, some supplies to build whatever you're building out of that pocket lint because you've been getting a lot of it. You've been winning more than losing. Mm -hmm. And we will continue. We're going to ask a lot of questions. Most of them will be the uh, trivia based in the nerd pop culture world. Occasional a history question will pop up. Like right now. It was on this date in history. The first rotary can opener. You know, like you twist your, you know, one of those. With a cutting wheel was patented on this date in history. Give me the year that thing made its appearance. 1836. That's interesting. You chose the 19th century. I didn't know if you would do that. I thought maybe you'd choose the 20th century. It was 1870. Uh, so, I, you know, that's pocket worthy right there. Kimmy, on this date in history, I'll give you the year. If you think the minimum wage is low now, 1933. The minimum wage was 40 cents an hour. It was established by, by Congress and everybody. Okay. It was on this date, 1933. So on this date in old-time radio, The Adventures of Sam Spade was heard for the very first time on ABC Radio. That was in 1946. 1954, Elvis Presley signed his first recording contract. It was on this date in history, Kimmy. Manufacturing began for the Etch-A-Sketch. Now the question will be, what year did that begin here We'll give you a chance to think that over as we hear one of the very first commercials for Etch-A-Sketch. Still tied score. And here's the tie-breaking question for Penella with her magic Etch-A-Sketch and her opponent, Maximilian, with his magnetic magnesticks. Ready? Draw or build the biggest animal in the jungle. It's the elephant. They're both right. How do they do it? Etch-A-Sketch draws and writes like magic. Turn the knobs and the lines go up and down and all around. No crayons, no chalks, never any mess. Turn Etch-A-Sketch upside down and shake and everything disappears. Magnastix builds things magnetically. No nails, no screws, no messy glue. You get over a hundred pieces to make trains, planes, animals, dolls, and pretty designs. Develop artistic and scientific skills with Etch-A-Sketch and Magnastix. They're kid-tested toys from the Ohio Art Company. Hi-yo. All right, give me what year did uh, Etch-A-Sketch begin being manufactured? 1958. So close. Pocket Lint time. 1960s when that uh, began. Did you have one of those old Etch-A-Sketches? Yep. I don't know how you could actually... What, did it look different than the newer Etch-A-Sketch? I, I, all I know is I just automatically picture that you know, with the red border, okay. red plastic border. And, yeah. and you played with the Etch-A-Sketch. Yeah. Could you ever make the Etch-A-Sketch draw anything? Nope. Did you nope. ever try cheating with a magnet? Mm-mm. I don't know if that would work. I have no idea. Mm. It never worked for yeah, me. Yeah, no, it didn't ever. It, it became a science fiction device for me. I would use it like a viewfinder, like a tricorder. Oh. That's, <laughs> I, was, I, could, it, I could never get that thing to work. Yeah, do you no, remember the, I couldn't. Do you remember the piece of paper or whatever? It was a plastic thing with a gray paper gray plastic and you would see it like with a clown face they would sell it as dimes you know in grocery stores like for a dime or whatever and you could draw on it with this red pencil and then uh -huh. you pull up the piece yep. of paper and it vanished yep that at least you could draw something on it oh yeah but the the etch sketch i i could never get that to work no i couldn't either. i wonder if they still have those gray pieces of paper plastic things i'm talking about i don't know I haven't seen any lately. I haven't seen any either. That'd be really cool to have it at a convention with us. I have a feeling that might pop up somewhere. I have a feeling that could be that could have some use. I could I could have fun with that. Hello, 
favorite artist friend <laughs> sketches something on this. <laughs> or, yeah, I kind of like this idea. What do you think? Mm. I, I kind of do. I, I could have that. I'll bet somebody's wheels are turning out there. I'm sure there is right now. I bet you one of our good friends, Martin Dunn, is thinking about that right now. Mm. Uh, yeah, I bet Martin's going, you know, that might be. You know what, Martin? Let's just see how good you are. You're a great artist. Let's see how good you are with an Etch-A-Sketch. <laughs> yeah. Let's let's just see how sketch. You know, come on, buddy. He likes to sketch at a table, right? Mm-hmm. So Martin could Etch-A-Sketch at a table. You could have a sketch et- duel. Et- et- Etch-A-Sketch off. Or Etch-A-Sketch duel. Say that fast. Yeah. You know, we actually might be able to beat him with an Etch-A-Sketch. Uh-huh. You can't use other devices to make the sketch, Martin. You have to use the actual wheels. <laughs> yeah. I, I wonder Etch-A-Sketch off. I wonder if you'd be interested. Contact us, Martin. You know how to do that if you're interested, right? Uh-huh. That'd be kind of fun, don't you think? Mm-hmm. All right, moving back into nerd geek pop culture trivia. So on this date in history, this movie, Kimmy, this movie broke all box office records by surpassing the $100 million mark of ticket sales in the first 31 days of its opening. It was this movie. Oh. Home. E.T. Home phone. All right, give me, give me the year. E.T., the extraterrestrial, broke all those records. 1981? Wrong. 1980. No, you're going the wrong 82. Way. That's right, give me 1982. So on this date in history, the movie X-Men premiered in New York. Give me the year X-Men premiered. The first one. The first? X-Men movie. Movie. Yes. Um... Why do I feel like this is a this is a trick it's question? Not a trick question. The first movie made X Men. Two thousand. That is exactly right. Okay. I wouldn't trick you there. We play fair here with the Riley and Kimmy show. All right, Kimmy, identify who this birthday person is. Are you ready for mm-hmm. this icon? Here is your audio clue. Ladies and gentlemen, the new television season is starting this week. And it is my prediction that very soon, ABC's Green Hornet show with Van Williams and Bruce Lee will become as popular as the Batman show starring Adam West. And, you know, I was just thinking, with, with every actor in the business competing for the job of villain on both of these programs, wouldn't it be funny if through a mistake in the casting office, the same actor was hired to play the villain in both shows? But both shows were being filmed at the same time. <laughs> you just stick around, and in one minute, I'll show you exactly what would happen. All right, Kimmy, can you identify who that birthday person is? I have chosen something that I don't know if you'll be able to... Milton Burrow. Whoa! Very good. Very good. You actually knew who that was. That is Milton Burrow, who did, by the way, play on Batman. Mm-hmm. Played... I, Louis the Lilac? Yes, she actually listens to the show. You you picked it up. Yes, Louis the Lilac. Hey, that's that's him. Played the villain on the, on the episodes of Batman. He was born on this date in history, Kimmy. He passed away what year? Mm. 1999? 2002 at the age of 93. Can you tell me one of his nicknames? Uncle Milty? That's correct. Uncle Milty is one of them. The other one is Mr. Television. Reason being is because he was it. I mean, he was the the launch, the pioneer, one of the first in television. His television program, but he had a radio program before that. Radio programs, I should say. And he was extremely successful with those. 
and his TV program was so big that some movie theaters would stop showing movies on Tuesday night at the time period during his show. A lot of them would wheel out television sets and let people watch the mm. Milton Berle show. Then they would start the movie. Mm. So that's just how popular he was. Wow. And he also had a 30-year, $1 million a year contract with NBC signed then. Wow. And even when they no longer had him on NBC, he still got the million dollars a year and he was working at ABC. Hmm. Milton Berle, question for you, Kimmy. Did he ever host Saturday Night Live? Yes. Are you sure? Mm -hmm. Can you tell me what year or approximate year? 1977. Very close. It was April 14th, 1979. He was the guest host of Saturday Night Live, and some consider it the worst episode ever done. It was so bad that Lorne Michaels had that show basically banned from any replays, any reruns, until 2003 because he thought it brought down the show's reputation. Wow. It was what some say a train wreck, quote, one of the uh, writers said, quote, watching a comedy train accident in slow motion on a loop, unquote. Wow. He upstaged. Makes me want to watch it. It does me as well. He upstaged people, camera mugged. Uh, he did spit takes out of nowhere, inserted old comedy bits, and then decided to perform September song. And it didn't go over very well complete with a prearranged standing ovation, something producer Lauren Michaels had never sanctioned. Mm. <laughs> and uh, took control of the set. All right. Did not go over very well at all. That episode was so bad, he was banned from the show as well. Wow. <laughs> yeah, got banned. Wow. <laughs> he got banned. But then he would appear on The Muppets as guest star on The Muppet Show, and he is upstaged by the heckling theater critics, you know them, Statler uh -huh. and Waldorf. Right. But it's, I believe, staged. We have a link to that video between him and the old codgers, uh -huh. uh, and it's brilliant. I, I, I would, I have to think that maybe Milton Berle wrote a lot of that material that that they yeah. are doing with him. And you know, people say, well, they, you know, they they got the best of him, but I think he was smart what he did, and it is, it's probably the best. In a way, I, don't, I can't say it's the best Muppet show, but it's just it's fantastic what Burl does. He put himself in, in in the spot, and he's getting heat, and it's hilarious how he handles it mm. with that. And they, it's probably the longest you'll ever have them on something. It, I think the the comedy bit runs close to four minutes long. Hmm. So it's something to check out. We have a link to that right now on our nerd news section, and you can get to that at RileyandKimmy.com. That's something to check out. So Milton Burl, I really want to check it out. Mm -hmm. And by the way, he was extremely important in the world of broadcasting, in television, in radio, also impacts in movies, did extremely well in film, and did dramas as well, very well. We'd like to see him remembered, right, Kimmy? Mm -hmm. All right, moving back to the Almanac today, see if you can identify this birthday voice. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. Here is your audio clue, Kimmy. Thank you, you so much, David Letterman. I am your red happiness bird. Ooh. Do you all like the outfit? Well, sometimes it's good to be cheap. You and I are the same age. 
All right, Kimmy, can you identify who that birthday person is? Oh, that's got to be Richard Simmons. That is Richard Simmons. How old is Richard Simmons today? 70? Very close. He is 68 today. Tell me the soap opera that I know you watched him on. General Hospital. I can't remember. What did he play on General Hospital? Himself? I think he was... Was he a doctor? I, I think no... I think he was a you know aerobics. Uh, was he a physical therapist? Instruct? No. I think he was an you know exercise instructor for. Well, like a overweight, like a like a dancer size ladies. kind of thing. Yeah, I I believe so. Okay, I I'm sure you watched fitness that. person. I'm sure you did he watch it. He was a fitness person on there on, yeah. on General Hospital mm-hmm. for a period of time, wasn't he? For a while. I believe so. Okay. And didn't Elizabeth Taylor, wasn't she on that show too? She was also on the show. Was I don't she, think Was she there was, during his time? I don't know. Did they dance her size together? I really don't think so. I don't. Re- okay. Are you sure? I, I'm, I she don't. was some ice queen or something, wasn't oh, she? Oh, she was a, was a Constantine's or Constantine's yeah, or whatever. Something okay. like that. All right. <laughs> yes, unfortunately, I was stuck watching that show from time to time. So that's why I know some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. But you actually watched it. By free will. Mm-hmm. Free will you watched that show. I loved it. I, I know. I was like 13 years old or so when it was at its height. Oh, yes. The Luke and Laura days. Yeah. The Scorpio days. We have a VHS on that. Yes, we do. And the scary part is you bought that not that long ago. It's been a few years. Not that long ago. DVDs you watched were, it with me. I was forced to watch that with you. I actually had to find a video recorder of a machine in storage to play that thing. And the one-armed man and... One-armed yeah. man? Remember that? One-armed no. one arm man, wasn't it? What are you talking about? Are you talking about the fugitive no. TV show? <laughs> one-armed man? Wasn't it? On General Hospital? Wasn't it? Uh, let's see. I remember Blackie. Who was the villain on, you know, when Luke and Laura were on the run and they had to I find the... I don't remember that. The one art, so they borrowed from the fugitive. It was something like that, yeah. They actually borrowed from the fugitive, and the fugitive wasn't that old by that time period. Yeah. That's sad. I didn't know that. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't realize that they borrowed from the fugitive. I, I had no idea. Okay, General Hospital and Kimmy mm-hmm. won't ask any questions that are associated with that show. Then you're like an expert. Didn't realize that. All right, Kimmy, let's see how you are with this one. Here's this person's having a birthday today. See if you can identify this star. Here's your clue. I get some very interesting fan mail. And I got a letter the other day from a man, 52 years old, married. He was lovely, said he had want, never misses the show, watches it all the time. A big fan, um, more bathing suits, that sort of thing. And the uh, I got a letters from 12 year, 12 year old girls saying, you know, how do you do your hair and all of that. And uh, she was from a very popular TV show where she played one of three detectives. That's your audio clue. She was a replacement too. It's an Aaron Spelling production. Okay. So you're saying it's one of Charlie's Angels, not one of the t- uh, first initial three. Cheryl Ladd? That is correct, Kimmy. That is Cheryl Ladd. How old is Cheryl Ladd today? Hmm. 
Um, 67. Very close. She is 65 today. That wraps up our list of the nerd geek trivia birthdays. None, No deaths, which is very nice to report for today. Mm -hmm. And we'll have more nerd and geek trivia sometime throughout the week here on the Riley and Kimmy Show. Right now, we're going to go back in time. Radio Watch That's O'Reilly and Kimmy Show. Anytime we have the opportunity to go back in time and to focus on the golden age of radio, otherwise known as old-time radio, OTR for those that do collect, we take that opportunity. And we're going to focus on a couple of things here as tributes, things that happened on this date in history. First, we have going back in time because it made its debut, 1946, The Adventures of Sam Spade. Heard on ABC Radio for the very first time on this date in history. We have an episode of Sam Spade. It's called Death and Company from August 9th, 1946, followed by an episode of Milton Berle's radio program. The episode is titled Summer Sports from August 12th, 1947. Yes, two different types of programs, and that basically is an idea of what Golden Age of Radio was all about. It's like TV in a way today. It had everything. It had all types of entertainment available and this is just an example, a snapshot in time, right about the same time periods, too, 1947 and 1946, that we have for you to give you an idea of what the golden age of radio was all about. If you like this, please tell your friends about the Riley and Kimmy Show. We occasionally focus on old-time radio and other types of trivia things of the past, memories of yesteryear. First show we go back to is Sam Spade. Here's Death in Company, August 9th, 1946, on the Riley and Kimmy Show. August 2nd, 1946. To Mrs. Gregory Denov. Subject, death of Dr. Denov. I was sitting in my office with nothing to think about except a horse named Corkscrew Jr. My secretary, Effie Perrine, came in and said there was someone outside. I didn't look up from the dope sheet, so she said it again. Someone outside, Sam. What's he look like? Um, blue double-breasted custom-made suit, count of Maritai... Hand-tailored shirt, English shoes, hand-trimmed Van Dyke. Get me a blank check and send them in. Okay, Sam. Please come in. Mr. Spade will see you now, sir. Thank you. You are Mr. Spade, Sam Spade. What can I do for you? I'm Dr. Gregory Denov, a psychoanalyst. I I need your help. Lie down, doctor, and tell me all about it. (laughs) I... I see you might also be noted for your sense of humor as well as your discretion. Who told you I was discreet? A man named Nicolaitis. Well, you tell Nicolaitis, I think he's cute, too. What else does he say about me? That I can trust you with $10,000. Oh. Is this Mr. Nicolaitis one of your patients? No. No, he isn't. As a matter of fact, he... He's gotten possession of some private records of mine. Well, it, it's rather involved. Nicolaitis is shaking you down, and he picked me as the middleman, is that it? This is not an ordinary case of blackmail. Blackmail is blackmail, even if you do it in technicolor. Well... As you may know, a psychoanalyst keeps a faithful transcript, a detailed record of everything a patient says during consultation, no matter how intimate or shocking. This man, Nicolaitis, has managed to gain possession of a copy of one of these case histories. The patient is a very celebrated person, and should this material be divulged, it may have very serious consequences for both my patient and, and for me. 
Doctor, your best bet's the San Francisco Police Department. No, no, that's out of the question. Then I'm afraid I can't help you. Why not? Take a lot of seven... I'm a private detective. When I take on a client, I take on his troubles. My job is to protect him, not to stand by and see him milked. If you want to hire me on that basis, I'll listen. Oh, I'm... I'm so tired. I must trust somebody. What can you do for me, Mr. Spade? Write me out a check for $1,000. Get a pen? Yeah. All right. You see, Nicolaitis figures that if I'm getting a cut, I'll have to keep my mouth shut. I'll spend it all the same. Here you are. Thanks. Now, uh, what was the last thing Nicolaitis told you? That he would pick up the $10,000 here and deliver to you this file in question. Can you reach him? Yes. Call him. Tell him you've seen me. Tell him I won't do that kind of business in my office. Tell him to come to your house. I'll be there. What if he refuses? He won't. Tell him I have the whole 10000 What time? How about in an hour? No, no, I'm sorry. We'll have to make it around three or... Oh, goodness, I'm late now. I, I really... That's a beautiful watch, Mr. Denham. Yes. Foreign? Uh, yes. May I see it? My watch? Why, oh, really, Mr. Spade, I'm very late. I have so many things to do, and I have to be at the Majestic Theater well before the matinee starts at 2.30. Are you going to see me at 3 o'clock if you're going to the theater? Oh, I'm not going to stay for the performance. Well, Mr. Spade, till 3 o'clock then. Oh, my office is in my apartment. The address is here on my card. It's the penthouse. Penthouse, huh? Okay, doctor, I'll come formal. I'll wear the top to my bathing suit. I left my office around 2.30 and started walking up Knob Hill. The Versailles Apartments, where Denhoff's place was, took up the whole 300 block, so I didn't have any trouble finding it. I stopped across the street for a minute to get my breath after the uphill climb, mopped my face, and started across. Just as I got to the middle of the street... so close around, I couldn't see who'd done the Brody, but I had a pretty good idea. The cops had the sidewalk roped off and guards posted at the building entrance. It took me maybe 20 minutes to elbow my way through and show my credentials. Sergeant Levine had the front door, so they let me in. Lieutenant Dundee of Homicide met me at the door of the penthouse. Hiya, Sam. What do you want? I want to see Dr. Denhoff. The doctor's dead. Dead? Yeah. He's my client. They can't do this to me. How? Hit a Brody out the window? What are you here for? To see his wife. Okay with you? Why not? She's inside. Thanks. <laughs> Mrs. Daniel, please. With all due respect for your grief, I must have the keys to the cabinet where Gregory kept his confidential files. You realize that he wished me to take charge of his patients and that I am responsible. All this police and so on. We must get those files out of here as soon as possible. <clears throat> yes? My name is Spade. I am Dr. Zoya. I was poor Dr. Denno's oldest friend. If there's anything I'd like to I... see you, Mrs. Denno, alone. But you police have already asked us so many questions. You see, she's not in the... I'm not committee. with the police. I'm a private detective. I was working for Dr. Denno. A private detective? He was in trouble, you see. You see, Dr. Sawyer, the police won't believe me. Mm. Mr. Spade, you'll tell them. You'll tell them he didn't commit suicide. Well, Mrs. Denno, I guess that takes care of everything here. It's clearly suicide. Oh, idiot, blind, stupid idiot. Suicide. Mm. My husband... He treated suicides. He would never... No, please. It will be all right, my dear. 
Oh, I'm sorry. She's hysterical. Yeah. If I had the time, Please I would... Tell them. Tell them. Please, Mrs. Daniel. The undertaker has been arranged for burial at 7 o'clock, Bay Israel Cemetery. Now, please, the key to Gregory's file. Here, take it and go. Go ahead, all of you. Okay, well, we'll call you now. Oh, I'm so sorry, gentlemen. This hysteria is simply traumatic condition. If I only had the time. Who can I turn to? Who will help me? You think it's pleasant? You think my husband would rest if they said I committed suicide? What shall I do? What shall I do? What shall I do? Dr. Zoya didn't have the time, neither have I. Do you think it's murder? Who do you think kills your husband? To name someone. That's a very serious charge, Mr. Speed. Goodbye, Mrs. Denhoff. Constance Brent. You mean Constance Brent, the actress? Yes. Yes, She was his last patient this morning. She had threatened to kill him before. How do you know? My husband said so. Do you? Honey, he'd written it down on his notes on her case. Once before, she'd almost pushed him from that same window. How about your husband and Miss Brent? Oh, I knew she was falling in love with my husband. That always happens. They, they call it a transference. But in this your case... Your husband told me Miss Brent was acting in a play this afternoon over at the Majestic. Yes, Midsummer Night's Dream. But she was here. I know she was here. Miss Ray, the receptionist, was coming back from lunch when she heard voices arguing inside. And she was sure it was Miss Brent's voice. Show me the doctor's case history on Miss Brent. I can't. It's missing as soon as it happened, I went to the files. I meant to show it to the police. Who could have taken it? Constance Brent was the last one in that room before he died. Yeah. Why did you say Nicolaitis last? Nick who? Skip it. Uh, where can I reach you in case... For the next couple of hours, I'll be at the Majestic Theater. I want to see how good an actress this Constance Brent is. <laughs> What do you want? I want to talk to Miss Brent. Well, you can talk to me. I'm her husband. So you're Mr. Brent. I'm Jonathan Wallace. He's Mrs. Wallace. Now, what do you want with my wife? I've come to tell her that Dr. Denhoff is dead. Uh, are you sure? You tried falling from a 12th floor window sometime. Well, that's the best news I've heard this year. I'm afraid it would be a shock for Constance. Maybe, maybe not. She was the last person to see him alive, as far as anybody can make out. I... Are you from the police? No, uh, I'm from the insurance company. Claims investigator. What do you want to see Constance for? The policy wasn't made out to her, was it? No, made out to his widow. But she can't collect. Police say it was suicide. Oh, that settles it. This is the last time I say to Tanya. Stand around while Puck talks his head off. Who is this person? Darling, I'm afraid this is going to be a shock. This man is from an insurance company. Dr. Denhoff is dead. Oh, what a pity. What happened? The police say he jumped. His wife says he was pushed. She also says that you, Miss Brent, might have been the pusher. Oh, now, really, it's too absurd. How like a wife. What time did your play start this afternoon, Miss Brent? Matinee at 2.30, always. Always. And the late lamented Dr. Denhoff jumped at 3 o'clock. I didn't say he did. Doesn't this news, uh, shock you? But of course. Do you think good psychoanalysts are easy to find? Looks like your next doctor will have to start from scratch. Your case history seems to be missing from Dr. Denhoff's files. Missing? No. 
What is it? Has a man named Nicolaitis been in touch with you? I've never heard of him. Chances are you will. Does he have Dr. Denno's notes on my case? Could be. <gasps> this is frightful. Hot reading, huh? You seem to know this person, Nicolaitis. Get that file for me and I'll pay you well for it. Just a minute, my lovely Titania. We, we don't know who this man really is. He might even be Nicolaitis himself. Let me see your company credentials. Now, what do you know? Somebody picked my pocket. My wallet's gone. I thought so. All right, you tell me who you are. I'll call the police. Oh, no, no, Jonathan. No police. Let's get off the merry-go-round. My name is Spade. You'll find me in the phone book under S. My office is open until 6 o'clock. And if a man answers, don't hang up. It'll be me. <laughs> found a Nicolaitis yet? Not one. I even tried spelling it backwards. <sighs> Nobody ever heard of a man named Nicolaitis. I'm beginning to think there ain't no such person. Pardon me. Uh, do I hear my name mentioned? I'm Nicolaitis. Sam, I still think you're right. Come all the way in, Mr. Nicolaitis. Sit down. Thank you. If you need me, Sam, just scream. What can I do for you? Oh, I've come for my money. What money? The $10,000. You remember the $10,000? Refresh my memory. Oh, Dr. Denos, the gentleman who visited you this morning. Oh, uh, that $10,000. Oh, you see, you see, you remember now. Yeah, yeah, it all comes back to me now. Uh, you were supposed to deliver something for the money. Since Dr. Denos is dead, that is no longer important. You will give me the money, please, and I will not disturb your afternoon any further. Suppose I refused. Oh, that would grieve me. In my grief, there is no telling what I might do. Dr. Denhoff's dead. There's nothing more you can do to hurt him. Oh, never would I attempt to hurt poor Dr. Denhoff. But in my sorrow, it would be so great if I should be forced to hurt the woman he lost. After all, as Titania says, these are the forgeries of jealousy. Titania, huh? Ah, yes, uh, Midsummer Night's Dream, Act 1, Scene 18. <laughs> I'm a little rusty on my Shakespeare. Oh, you are indeed, Mr. Spade. Titania doesn't appear until well into Act 2. She doesn't, huh? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. I guess she isn't on for 40 minutes or so. Yes, indeed, Mr. Spade, but I didn't come here to discuss drama. What else have you got to discuss? When Dr. Dunhoff died, your market died with him. That is a very unprogressive view, Mr. Spade. There's always a gentleman named Jonathan Ward. Why, you fiend. You don't mean you've sold to both of us. Mr. Spade, how can you have such a low opinion of me? I will prove my integrity. I will give you the material. You give me the money. Hand it over. In the event, Mr. Spade, we have a saying... He who goes too close to the bear soon loses his beard. I have left my beard at home. Okay, I'll meet you anywhere you say, anytime you say. Excellent. At seven in your apartment, hmm? Won't that be walking into the bear's cave? In the Levant, Mr. Spade, we have a saying. Private dicks do not kill people in their own apartment. <laughs> It was then 6 p.m. I called Effie for messages. She told me that you had been phoning frantically, Mrs. Denov. 
I still had maybe 30 minutes before Nicolaitis was due at my apartment, so I breezed on up to your place on the hill. We had a very interesting chat. Uh, remember, Mrs. Denov? Looking back on it, that was probably the most interesting conversation we had. Funny, I can't remember much of anything you said, but it was so uh, cozy there in your place. And what with your clock being about 20 minutes slow, it must have been something like half past seven before I left you. I grabbed a cab and told the hacky to step on it. I hoped Nicolaitis was still waiting at my apartment. He was. Mr. Nicolaitis, I'm sorry to be late. He was lying on my bathroom floor. The little guy was looking just about as natty as when he'd been in my office, except that the beautiful silk scarf he'd been wearing was twisted into a tight noose around his neck. Mr. Nicolaitis was a very dead blackmailer. The makers of Wild Root Cream Oil are presenting the fourth in a new series of programs bringing to the air for the first time the adventures of Dashiell Hammett's famous private detective, Sam Spade. And Psyche. Tonight's adventure with Sam Spade. His eyes were open and he seemed to be looking right at me as I bent over him. The finger marks in his throat were too blotchy to be of any use. Pretty soon, Lieutenant Dundee and Sergeant Polehouse came in and walked over behind me. We all stood there for a second and then Polehouse bent down and closed those eyes. You know him, Sam? His name is Nicolaitis. That's all I know about him. What did he come here to your place for? I don't know. You invited him? I wouldn't have been surprised to find him here. But not like this. You boys got a smear on him yet? Sure. He's an old customer of mine. Runs a photo lab. Photostats, microfilm. Microfilm. Nobody makes any sense. They're all screwballs, psychos, neurotics. What am I doing in the middle of this anyway? Sam, don't scream at us. We're just doing a job. Oh, I'm sorry, boys. It's... Dr. Denov was my client. Man, and I was... expert. That Denov probably had a screw loose somewhere and needed a psychoanalyst himself. Say, maybe he was... Yeah. Yeah. Hey, look, Dundee. Hmm? I'm going out of here now. Do I call Sid Weiss and we go through all that again, or are you going to let me walk? Why, Sam, you can go. I know where you sleep. I'll wake you when I'm ready for you. I want some answers, Dr. Zoya, and you're the guy who can give them to me. I'm listening. Just let the questions flow into your mind and do not try to repress any of them. Speak instantly, whatever... Okay, question number one, without thinking. Do you think Dr. Denhoff was a suicide? Well, I had not seen Dr. Denhoff for many years. He had been my student in Vienna. I was his analyst, in fact. That's all very interesting, Doctor, but my question... Yes, yes, sir. Did poor Dr. Denhoff commit suicide? I have reviewed all the material manifest and hypothetical, and I came to the conclusion... No, no, it was quite impossible. 
you see these paranoid... Okay, question number two. Was uh, Dr. Denhoff in love with Constance Brent? I suppose I can now answer that question. When I arrived in San Francisco, I found him in great distress. He told me he feared he was losing his objectivity towards this patient. In other words, he was in love with her? Yes. You think she might have murdered him? All psychoanalytical subjects develop aggressive feelings toward the doctor. <laughs> Nearly all of my patients have threatened me at one time or another. You don't say. Uh, tell me, Dr. Zoya, you know anything about Jonathan Wallace, Miss Brent's husband? A violent type, almost psychotic. Yeah? How about you, uh, Dr. Zoya? Could you have done it? That is a most interesting question, Mr. Spade. When I arrived here from Vienna without funds, dependent on the kindness of my former students, I must confess that I felt a certain antagonism. It disturbed me to realize that a man of my standing in the profession should have been dependent on the goodwill of a younger and, uh, I sincerely believe, less gifted man. However, I overcame this, and I didn't kill him. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, yeah, Doctor, thanks a lot. Oh, people, people. Truly a life study. There is no accounting. <laughs> For instance, Dr. Denoff. He came to me only this afternoon with the strangest request. Yeah? He gave me the gold watch. The gold watch which I had presented to him many years ago upon his graduation in Vienna. He had a patient waiting and so had not much time to explain. Where is this watch? Please, I'm coming to that. He asked me to promise that I would have the watch buried with him if something should happen. That has been done. But Dr. Denhoff just died at three o'clock. It is a mosaic law that the deceased be buried before sundown. Uh -huh. Thanks, Doctor. Thanks a lot. Mm -hmm. I hope I've been of some help. Doctor, you'll never know how much you've helped me. Spade. Oh, what's happened? I think I got the answers, Mrs. Denhoff. That file on Constance Brent. Your husband knew that you'd been going through it. Oh, Mr. Spade. Shut up and listen to me. He took it out of the files, had it microfilmed for his own private records, and destroyed the original. Really? The man who did the microfilming was Nicolaitis. He delivered one print to your husband and kept another for himself. He was murdered in my apartment for the copy he used to shake down your husband. The killer now has that copy, if it hasn't already been destroyed. But we can still put our hands on the first strip of microfilm which you delivered to your husband. This is astonishing. How? It's in the gold watch which was buried with him. Uh, oh, the, the watch that Dr. Zoya... That's right. Denov made up his mind that whatever he knew about Constance Brent was going to go to the grave with him. What are you doing tonight? Uh, nothing. And we got a date, sweetheart, you and I. I'll be back toward the wee hours. All paths lead to the grave. Ophelia, Act 6. Gregory's grave? But shouldn't we get a court order and have it done properly? The courts don't open until 10 in the morning, sweetheart. And Lieutenant Dundee's going to start asking me some questions about that stuff in my apartment before then. You see, baby, I can't wait. Oh, 
Mr. Spade, we shouldn't be doing this. If I'm wrong this time, it won't be wasted effort. I'll crawl into the grave myself and pull it in after. Here. I struck it. Give me that crowbar, Mrs. Denno, quick. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Put that flashlight in here, sweetheart. You look the other way. Yeah. Yeah, here it is. Look. What, Mr. Speed? What have you got? The watch. Here, put the flash on it while I open it. Uh, here's my nail file. Pry off the back. Thanks. That does it. Here's the film. All right, Mr. Spade. Give me that film. Well, if it isn't the second gravedigger from Hamlet, Mr. Constance Brent. Stop clowning and hand it up to me. You better do as he says, Mr. Spade. We've both got guns. I was expecting that. It took you a long time to get here, Mr. Wallace. How did dear Constance make out as Lady Macbeth? Just give me that film. Stop being an idiot, Wallace. The cemetery is crawling with cops. Put that gun away before you drop it and break your foot. Come up out of that grave, Spade, or you'll stay there forever. Okay, Dundee. All right, all right. Get those hands up, everybody. Go ahead, Dundee. Make the pinch. Okay. Sam Spade, I arrest you for body snatching violation of graves under the civil code number... No, you fool. You're supposed to arrest Mrs. Gregory Denov and Jonathan Wallace for the murder of Gregory Denov and Pericles Nicolaitis. But I... Oh, yeah, yeah, I... No, you don't! It was smart of you, Mrs. Denov, to make me late for my appointment with Nicolaitis. You did that so that Wallace could nail him in my apartment for the microfilm. You thought you could use that film to pin Denov's murder on Constance Brent. But after your late husband caught you tampering with his files, he added a few well-chosen words to it so that the film put the finger on you and your boyfriend, Mr. Wallace, in case anything happened to the doctor. So Wallace had to kill Nicolaitis. You weren't smart to push your husband out the window. That looked like suicide. You might have gotten away with it, Mrs. Denov, if you'd bashed your husband's head in with a bottle. Uh, that reminds me, Effie, pour me a drink. That all? Sign it, put a special delivery on it, and send it care of the matron to Hatchapi Prison. Go on, have one yourself. Oh, thank you. Here's how. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. You'll get used to it. <laughs> Good night, Sam. <laughs> Good night, sweetheart. Cream Oil presents The Adventures of Sam Spade, Dashiell Hammett's famous private detective, produced and directed by William Spear. Sam Spade is played by Howard Duff. Fred Essler was Dr. Zoya. Lorene Tuttle is Effie. Don't forget, next Friday, the three masters of the art of hair-raising, Dashiell Hammett, William Spear, and Wild Root Cream Oil, join forces to bring you another hair-raising adventure with Sam Spade. It's the Riley and Kimmy Show. RileyandKimmy.com From Radio City in New York, the Milton Berle Show. With Perth Tilton, Jack Albertson, Arnold Stang, Mary Ship, Arthur Q. Bryan, Jackson Beck, our singing star Dick Farney, the music of Ray Block and his orchestra, and yours truly, Frank Gallup. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, tonight we salute summer sports. The star of our show is no summer sport, even in winter he's known as a cheapskate. And here he is, Milton Berle. <laughs> Thank you, and 
Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Mr. Gallup, calling me a cheapskate? <laughs> Why, at some of the biggest nightclub parties, everybody knows I'm always the first one who picks up the check and hands it to Howard Hughes. Thank <laughs> you. There's more checks picked up here tonight. But I'm glad, I'm glad, Mr. Gallup, that they dropped that investigation. All that muck and Maya, there's still a lot of muck, but where's Maya? <laughs> Are you sore because I won't let you sleep? What is it? <laughs> oh, Bill, enough of your depressing drivel. Let's get on with our subject, summer sport. Yes, Mr. Gallup, somehow I, somehow I can't associate you with summer sports. I mean, summer's almost gone, and look at your complexion. <laughs> the last time I saw a color like that was when somebody turned over a turtle. <laughs> you, you really have a wonderful sun pail. Oh, it's on these... Time it, uh, time it, time it. <laughs> Shall we try it again? No, we won't. <laughs> it's on. Why let it die again? <laughs> it's on these summer evenings that I let myself go. Well, what happened? <laughs> well, <laughs> yes. it's not the sort of thing one talks about on the air. Oh, come on, Mr. Gallup. Tell me, what do you do? Well, twice a week, Deems Taylor and I pick up a couple of piano teachers we know in front of Carnegie Hall, and it's yoikes away to the outdoor concert at Lewisham Stadium. Yahoo! That's living! <laughs> it is gay. Yes, it is gay. Yeah. <laughs> we all put on our Toscanini buttons and off we go in the subway singing snatches from Tristown and the Soldi all the way to 145th Street. Mm. How you must hate yourself in the morning. <laughs> but, Mr. Gallup, what happens at the stadium? Well, we get seats right down in front. Beams knows a man on downbeat. No kidding. <laughs> Big man. Yes. During the intermission, Deems, that cut up, <laughs> he pokes a hole in the middle of his program and twir twirls it around on his nose. <laughs> and twirls it around on his clothes. <laughs> we could go on like this for hours. We got better taste. <laughs> and when the concert is over... Oh, it's usually a mad rush. What? We have to get the girls back to Phil's Spitali before midnight. What mad... Mad Reveille, Mr. Gallup, you, you simply must take me along on an evening like that. You really must. Sometime after I'm dead. <laughs> you are a roué. <laughs> All work and no play, you know. Yes, I know. <laughs> uh, and now, ladies and gentlemen... A man isn't made of wood. <laughs> you jump. And, uh... Ladies and gentlemen, the girls said they were over 30. That was the other one before that. that <laughs> All right, enough with that. Gee, and now, ladies and gentlemen. Am I not flesh and blood? Barely. Please, Mr. Gallup. And now, in, <laughs> in tribute to the tanned, tough, and rugged summer athlete who plays hard but fair, smashing his way to victory, tonight we present our cavalcade of summer sport. Block, block, please. Just a fanfare. Good. Thank you. And now, ladies and gentlemen, on to review the summer sports now being played the length and breadth of this land that is America. Yasha. Yasha. Yeah, look, look. Will you take my word for it? Give up, Block. There will never be another Rubenov. There will never be another Rubenov. 
I don't like the tone of how you're not laughing. Leading off tonight in our sports cavalcade, we take you to Central Park, where the finals in the Metropolitan Horseshoe Pitching Contest is now underway. There, hidden by lush greenery and bushes, we find one of America's oldest sports taking place. Take it away, Central Park. Oh, Mabel. Oh, Marvin. Excuse the technical difficulty. One of our microphones was misplaced. <laughs> it's a big park, you know. We'll be back. We'll be back for the horseshoe match. We now take you to Lake George, where the national high-diving champion, Stubby Higgins, is about to dive from the 200-foot board. Take it away, Lake George. Thank you. We're stationed here directly beneath the 200-foot high board. Mr. Higgins has just reached the top. The lake is calm, smooth as glass. Mr. Higgins is testing the board. What a beautiful setting. There isn't a ripple on the water, smooth as glass. And there goes Mr. Higgins. Well, what do you know? It was glass. And now, oh, wait, wait. I've just received word that they've switched the microphone to a different section of Central Park for the horseshoe match. Take it away, Central Park. Mabel. Marvin. <laughs> they must have a bicycle. <laughs> I can't understand what's gone wrong with the horseshoe matches. Heaven knows how many ringers and leaners we're missing. Oh, oh wait, let's wait, wait, wait. There's, there's the signal. They're ready for us with the horseshoe match. Take it away, Central Park. Oh, Mabel. Oh, Marvin. Oh. Thank you, Charlie Farrell and Janet Gaynor. You were grand. <laughs> Mr. Gallup, may I say that the summer sport we remember best is dancing. Dancing on a moonlit terrace with that one and only girl in your arms as you sang. Dancing with her till the tune ends. We're dancing in the dark. And it soon ends. We're waltzing in the wonder of why we're here. <laughs> Dancing in the dark, dancing in the dark with Cynthia. For years I danced in the dark with my Cynthia, and then one night someone snapped on the light and I saw her face. Ah! That's Cynthia! <laughs> Cynthia, you showed up! No, that isn't Cynthia. I know my Cynthia. Cynthia was tall, stately, six feet four. What a picture we made dancing together, with her chin resting on the top of my head. Yes, dancing with my Cynthia in her backless evening gown. It was like holding a freshly plucked chicken. <laughs> it was the little things I remember about Cynthia. The way she would snuggle up and whisper in my ear, Look, Mac, you pay ten cents to dance. Stop horsing around. <laughs> risky way that she'd do the rumba. From the back, you'd swear it was a Bendix. <laughs> In the middle of the dance, the way she'd laugh and toss her head. Her hair would fall down her back. I'd catch it just before it hit the floor. <laughs> Remember those magical nights, Cynthia? We would dance cheek to cheek. I'd rub my stubble against yours. <laughs> now I pleaded with you, Cynthia, to shave, but no, you wouldn't. 
You were afraid the other girls at the foundry would call you a sissy. <laughs> but, Cynthia, the thing I remember best is the way... The way you'd cling to your partner. You wouldn't let go until you lifted his wallet. But remember, darling, remember as long as I get half of a take, we will face the music together, dancing in the dark. No applause, no applause. The listeners will think we have a studio audience. <laughs> and now... How true. And, and now, ladies and gentlemen, a sport that has always been popular with outdoor fans is professional wrestling. We have with us tonight none other than the heavyweight champion of Bergen County, New Jersey, Stanislaus Strangler Wintersnitz. Ladies and gentlemen, Strangler Wintersnitz. <laughs> Greetings, ladies and gentlemen of the radio audience. Well, Strangler, what has been responsible for your success in the wrestling arena? Swank, leverage, and fleeing strategy. <laughs> and if these, if these don't work? I carry a pair of brass knuckles in my belt. <laughs> brass knuckles? Isn't that illegal? <laughs> in wrestling, we have... In wrestling, we've got a little motto. If you can't grab it... Like it. I see what you mean. Well, tell me, Strangler, haven't you a favorite hold? Oh, yeah, I created it myself. Yeah? It's my own Wintersnitz double revolving butt. Wintersnitz double revolving butt? Yep. Sounds terrifying. What are the details? Well, I lie down in the center of the wing. Yeah. Then I whiff my legs. My opponent then grabs me by the feet and drags me around and around the wing on my stomach. Dragged around on your stomach? Well, that can't win you many wrestling matches. I know, but it feels good. <laughs> Strangler, what was the most exciting experience that you ever had in the ring? It was a free-for-all in Toledo. It was a free-for-all in Toledo? Yep. A free-for-all match? Collect. Fifteen westwards in the wing. The other fourteen all weeped on me. There was a big pile with me at the bottom. I was being crushed. Crushed. Yeah, well, what, what did you do? I walked around on frantically. Yeah. And there in front of my face was a big, fat leg. A big, fat leg? Yep. I reached up and took a big, juicy bite. Did the pile move? You're darn tootin'. It was my own way. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, you Stangler Wintersnitz. And say hello to Babe Dietrichson's husband when you see him in Denver. At the finish? Okay. <laughs> that was Tico. That was Tico Tico, played by Ray Block and the Philip Mars Orchestra. And Ray, you've got a wonderful outfit there. Where'd you get it? At Barney's. And now to continue, 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 continue. That strangler got me upset. To continue our salute to summer sports, we now present summer sports forum tonight. Summer Sports Forum tonight. The question, will ping-pong balls ever take the place of tapioca? Thank you very much, Mr. Gallup. A great summer sport is camping. How about some tips on outdoor cooking? Very well. A listener writes in and asks, what's the best thing to put on barbecued ribs? Unguantine. <laughs> oh, that's nothing. <laughs> 
Mr. Gallagher, you're all, almost as sharp as your nose tonight. I'm <laughs> only kidding. I, I think you have a very nice nose. I wish I had it. Must be great for opening letters. And now, <laughs> let us not tarry with meaningless banter. Let's have questions from the audience. Let's begin with this gentleman here in the open-toed pants. Your question, please. Uh, Mr. Burrow, my favorite summer sport is rowing my wife across the lake. You row your wife across the lake, and what is your question? Well, where can I get a boat? My wife is getting waterlogged. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Next question. This young man here blowing up his beach ball. Uh, young, young man, what is, what is your name? My name is Guy Lombardo. <laughs> Guy Lombardo? Yeah, now don't confuse me with the one who's the speedboat racer. Oh, no, I won't. I'm a band leader. <laughs> you, uh, you have a band? Yeah, you know, the sweetest music this side of Canal Street. Well, there's a real Guy Lombardo in his Royal Canadian. Oh, I know. We got an agreement. As long as I won't play in Canada, yes. he won't play in Benzenheist. <laughs> all right, all right, Guy. And you uh, you have a question? A question. I got lots of questions. Good. What is the question? I'm qu always asking questions. That's the way I learn things. I know. I always say, if you don't know, ask. So I ask. Well, then ask. Ask what? A question. A question. What category do you want? Science, state capital, movie star? Now, look, I'm the one. You're too smart to ask a question. I'm the one. What, do you know it all or something? I didn't. You ain't got a question. Sit down. Next. <laughs> This wrangling. Now, if you have a question, ask it. Okay. Where's my 64 bucks? Please, now relax. Who's next? Oh, yes. This young lady in the aisle boning a flounder. Young lady. Young lady, what is your name? Tulupini. I'm a homemaker. I see. And you have a question concerning summer sports? Yeah. How can I keep my husband from spending all his time horseback riding? He rides his own horse? Yeah. He got no saddle, so he has to ride bareback. You ought to see the calluses. On your husband? On the horse. What a nag. My husband bought him from a brewery. A brewery horse? What trouble. He won't eat nothing unless he's got a head on it. He rides the horse around the neighborhood? Yeah, it's embarrassing. Neighbors is always looking up and yelling, Hey, Feeney, you sure look swell on that horse. What's so embarrassing about that? Half the time he ain't even on it. Oh, I see. He can't afford a stable, so he got the horse sleeping with us. Mrs. Feeney, the horse sleeps in your bed? It's awful. My husband's up until four in the morning getting the horse ready for bed. It takes that long? He takes his shoes off. Wait a minute. You take the horse's shoes off before he gets into bed? Sure. What do you think we are, slobs or something? No. No, I, I, I think that's very neat. The way he goes up to the Bronx on that horse, it's amazing. What's amazing about going up to the Bronx on a horse? By subway? He takes the horse on the subway? Yeah, it's really beautiful the way they take the time style in one leap. Gosh, it must be something. How he loves that horse. Once he took the horse to the movies to see the Hucksters. Wait a minute, that's ridiculous. A horse sitting in a seat at a movie to see the Hucksters? Why not? He was nuts about the book. Thank you very much, Mrs. Feeney. Thank you very much. Now, to conclude our summer sports forum, let us all join in and sing a tribute to our nation's game, baseball. Oh, I come from Ebbets Field with a lump upon my head. I've seen the Dodgers lose a game, them bums, they should drop it. Oh, you Dodgers, please try and stay ahead, cause the cards are right behind you, so... 
You'd better get out the land. Oh, Dick, you want to. What a voice. You know, when I was a kid, people kept urging me to do something with my pipes. Well, who wanted to become a plumber? Who <laughs> wanted to become a plumber? Who wanted to... Oh, no. You, you know, Mr. Gallup, we've discussed every summer sport, but we've completely ignored the one that's probably the most popular, the sport of kings, horse racing. Let's continue to ignore, shall we? No. No, we're not, because it just... <laughs> you have a wonderful personality yes. tonight, Mr. Gallup, really. I mean, really, we got it. Uh, because it... We won't ignore it, because horse racing is very important, because it just so happens I had an experience at a track a few weeks ago. I was just leaving the house around noon, and I was... Gosh... Twelve o'clock. I'll be late for rehearsal for my radio show. Goodbye. So long, Pop. Happy egg laying. Junior. Goodbye, Milton. Have a nice rehearsal. Well, wait. This paper dropped out of your pocket. G- g- give it back to me. A racing form. Milton, you're going to the track. Give this lady a box of Snickers. Quiet. <laughs> look, look, dear. I, I can explain. Now, take it slow and wait for your laugh. This is very funny. Look, look dear. I... I can explain everything. Look, Mr. Bellows, head of the advertising agency for my radio show, gave me $100 to take out to the racetrack and bet a horse called Dark Disaster. And I have to go. Milton, I'm sick and tired of staying home. I'm going with you. Hot dog, where's my binoculars? This is going to be fun! Junior, don't get excited. Because you're not going. You're kidding. (laughs) No, Junior, you are not going. Okay, Stand back. Here it comes. No, Junior, please. Oh, oh my God. No, Junior. Junior. Junior, please. Junior. Junior. yourself, please. There. Shut up. You drive me crazy. You drive me crazy. You, 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 you go to the track with us. Now wipe the foam off your mouth and get ready. Come on, let's go. Boy, what a crowd. Junior, will you give that jockey back his cap, please? Where's the betting window? Your attention, please. The next race is the featured Suckertonian Handicap. Well, that's the race Dr. Sastra's in. I'll go and bet Mr. Bellow's money. You wait here. Milton, let me place the bet. I've always wanted the thrill of betting a whole hundred dollars. Oh, okay. Here's the money. Go to the window. Look, Pop, Dr. Sastra's 40 to 1. Gee, he'll pay Mr. Bellow's $4,000. Pardon me, friends. I can't believe my ears. Did I overhear someone say they was betting on that dog, Doc Disaster? Well, yes, we're betting on Doc. The horse ain't got a chance. <laughs> Athlete's hoof. <laughs> Athlete's hoof? They're just running him to help stamp down the track for the next race. Uh, listen, buddy, will you get lost, please? Dear, go to the window. No, we can't bet a horse that has it's Athlete's hoof. It's for Mr. Bellows. Go to the window. The smart money's on Flying Hammerstein. The horse can't lose. Milton, did you hear? Flying Hammerstein. 
Go to the window. It's fixed for Hammerstein. They got the horse so doped up, he thinks he's a P-38. Hello, will you please? Look, dear, go to the window. Milton, we can't bet. Doctor's after. But Mr. Bellows said... The horses are approaching the post. You have two minutes to place your bets. Quick, darling, please. Go to the window. Milton, I'm betting on Hammerstein. You know how we loved Oklahoma. Please, now. Mr. Bellows will ruin me. Go to the window. Peanuts. I'll throw it to Peanuts. Hey, Pop. Oh, okay, Junior. The peanuts. One of those bags. Quick. Ain't got any. These are phonies. I'm a tout. <laughs> will you go away, please? What's your load on Hammerstein? You see, Milton? Go, go to the window. Hammerstein's a cinch. They got a battery and two guys from Westinghouse under his saddle. <laughs> Please, dear. Milton, we can't throw away Mr. Bellows' money on dark disaster. Go to the window. Hammerstein can't lose. Go to the window. But Mr. Bellows will appreciate your changing his bet. Go to the window. I'm betting on Hammerstein. Go. Give me the money. I'll make the bet. No. Go to the window. The horses are at the post. At the post. Mr. Bellows sent me here to bet dark disaster. I don't care who wins. Just bet dark disaster. Well, all right, but Hammerstein... Go to the window. Well, no gambler's blood. I'll be glad when this is over. Hey, Pop! Want to go dollar-dollar with me on Hammerstein? Oh, quiet! Look, look, the race is starting. The horses are ready. Come on, dark disaster! Dark disaster! Oh, dear, did you get to the window on time? Yes, I just had to bet on Hammerstein. Good, come on. Good, good. No, no, you, you, you didn't, you didn't. At the corner, it's dark disaster in front by two lengths. Gadfly is second by a neck. Hawk fence is third. Little Danny is fourth. Loose done. Cranus, Lytel. And Hammerstein. No, no. Milton, which way are they running? Away from Hammerstein. <laughs> Come on, Hammerstein. At the half, it's Dark Disaster in front by six lengths. Gadfly, Hot Tank, Stutter Dana, Trovo Forest, and Hammerstein. <laughs> I'm ruined. Come on, Hammerstein. There in the stretch, here comes disaster. You're telling me? Followed <laughs> by Gadfly, Hot Tank, Stutter Dana, Trovo Forest, and Hammerstein. Oh, Go to the window. No, no, Dr. Sasta can't win. He did. <laughs> it's Dr. Sasta by 20 lengths, oh. followed by... And Hammerstein. Milton, stop staring at me. Go to the window. But they all said Hammerstein. Go to the window. Just tell Mr. Bellows what happened. Go to the window. Milton, where are you going? Go to the window. Well, there's only one place for me now. A desert island. Away from Mr. Bellows. Away from everybody. Nothing but palm trees. Coconuts. And Hammerstein. Go to the window. <laughs> Find archive podcasts of The Riley and Kimmy Show at RileyandKimmy.com.